you look after you you take a break at midday you stop sending emails at like 10 o'clock at night or five o'clock in the morning or on a sunday night you know you look at your own work-life integration create opportunities for your own joy and happiness and improve your sleep and then the second part is absolutely we are not taught this anywhere we're not taught this in school it is i believe the responsibility of any workplace leader to think about how they can make it easier for their workforce to access this kind of information Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast with Susan Crichton. And today, my guest is Celine Morin. Is that right, Celine? Is that I said it right? Yes, yes, Susan. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Celine. She's a qualified dietitian, an author of two books, and a workplace well-being consultant. She has a practical and playful approach to helping business leaders and their teams enrich the quality of their lives, which is important, I think, for all of us. Celine does that by helping them connect their mind, heart, body and spirit in a way that supports their well-being. So, Celine, welcome. Thank you. I was going to start by saying, when did you actually start the business that you're doing just now? Well, I always knew that I wanted to be a healer of some kind. So I thought I would study medicine. Okay. And in my exploration of looking into medicine, I discovered uh, dietetics, which was the combination of medicine and healing, but using food. And uh, I, I have French heritage, so food is a big part of my life. And I really knew then that I wanted to be able to help people heal by helping them change the way they eat and looking at gut health. And so I qualified as a dietitian. And then after about five years of being in clinical practice as a dietitian, I had the opportunity to work with a a health insurer. And then I discovered this whole arena of workplace well-being where people were encouraged to go to workshops and proactively look after their well-being. And I've been doing that for sure the last like 13 years or since 2005 or 2006. Wow. Wow. That's good. So how did you actually find, is it is it a business that you run? Is it sort of like um, your own business that you run yes. now? Yes. yes. So how did you find actually starting up the business? Was it difficult or was it easy for you? Well, I always thought that I'd get a job, right? That's how you talk. <laughs> so I went for two interviews in my life. So because as I qualified as a dietitian, I actually got married two weeks after that. Okay. And my husband was my ex-husband, because I'm now no longer married, but he was very entrepreneurial in his spirit. And he encouraged me not to go for jobs. And he said, why don't you start your own practice? You know, I thought I'm going to go work with a large corporate as a dietitian and become a representative and maybe work in pharmaceuticals or something like that. And uh, so he encouraged me not to do that. Okay. So slowly, it was not easy, no. <laughs> but I slowly started building my practice. I remember right in the beginning, I would actually drive to people's homes Yes. And then consult with them, which was very effective to help them get like maximum input. Imagine a health practitioner coming to your home, standing in your kitchen, helping you spring clean your cupboards and talking yes. to you with your family. But it wasn't financially viable because no. I couldn't charge for all the time, for instance. So I learned a lot in those first few years. But I did know right then that there was an incredible excitement about working for myself. And I've never 
worked for anybody else. I've worked with people and collaborated. Yeah. I've had business partners and started and stopped different businesses. But ultimately, I've I've always been my, I guess, my, my own boss, the HR, the CFO, the CEO. Yeah, the one of many hats. We're all we're all the same. We've got many, many hats, which hat am I wearing today? So when Zoom went sort of took off, it must have been really quite good for you because I was exactly the same. Before COVID, I used to go to my clients and visit my clients. And like you, I would maybe spend half an hour getting there, spend an hour with them, half an hour home. So you'd maybe find most of the morning had gone and really all you were charging them was for the time that they were there. So when Zoom happened, when COVID happened and Zoom started, it was amazing for my practice. It must have been amazing for you or were you using it before? No, so it was not amazing at all because I stopped my private practice for many in 2006. Oh, oh wow. And I've been doing, so I'm a professional speaker and facilitator. So I do global events and so I would go to events and speak and do oh, keynote presentations yeah. or masterclasses. Yeah. I've worked a lot with peer review groups. So we, we met, was in like a peer yes. review group for a yes. And of course, all of those stopped. All those events stopped. Yes. So I, I didn't have an online business at all. Okay. Um, yeah, well, that must have been a big shock, was it? Yes. Big, yeah. it was a, like it was for so many of us. It was a yeah. wonderful opportunity to take stock, to pause, to really think about okay, is this really what I want to do? And if it is, then how do I do it in this new world of work? And I must say it was such a gift because there is nothing else I want to do besides work with leaders and their teams and help them to optimize their well-being in a way that's fun and playful and practical. Yeah. So let's get down to, I've, I've been thinking about some questions that would be relevant to the people that are listening to this podcast. So I've said, what sort of advice would you give someone who experiences, I mean, we all experience stress and long hours, you know, small business owners, entrepreneurs, a lot of stress, a lot of long hours. How can nutrition play a role in managing stress and boosting energy levels? Well, it really is the foundation because our physiology, so our internal chemistry determines how we feel and how we think and how we act. So physiology impacts uh, psychology and ultimately performance. For instance, if you have a bad night's sleep, yes. so you wake up and you're sleep deprived, yes. you, you grab one or two cups of coffee, maybe yes. a quick glass of toast, and you don't eat anything until three o'clock, there's no way, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much emotional awareness and intelligence you have, you are not going to optimize and work at your best mentally and emotionally because you are dehydrated and fatigued and your blood sugar has probably plummeted. So in terms of energy, you know, the baseline, our energy fuel is our blood glucose. And the more stable your glucose levels are inside your body, the more you have this constant trickle of fuel coming to your body and your brain. But many of us don't feel in a way that's strategic. So I speak a lot about strategic refueling. Okay. That, so that's the link to energy. Then the link to stress Stress ultimately isn't bad. It can be good, right? It's when it's prolonged like it is now. I mean, everybody, it feels like we're all drowning in a sea of stress. You know, there's high levels of anxiety and mental health. And, and stress is impacted by hormones and hormones are impacted by glucose. So if your blood glucose levels and your hormones are roller coasting up and down, you're going to make it much harder for your body to manage any form of stress. 
And then also there's a process, perhaps we can go into detail a little bit later, called inflammation. And inflammation is what happens inside the body when we have a lot of stress. There's many other things that impact inflammation, but stress does, especially high levels of cortisol that don't get cleared because we don't exercise, we don't take time off, we don't do self-care, we don't get enough rest. And the combination of high inflammation with stress and bad lifestyle habits is just a recipe for disaster. It makes it harder for us to rest, makes it easier for us to put on weight. It makes us want to crave sugar. We have brain fog, so we need coffee. So we can easily get into the spiral. And that's where a lot of my clients are. And so I want to start off and say, you know, a lot of what I share, people know. Like we know that it's good for us to eat salads and vegetables and to exercise. It's not easy to do. If it was easy, we would all be doing it and we'd be happy and healthy and wealthy and and I wouldn't have a (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I agree. So should we be monitoring our glucose levels then? Is that what you're saying? Or is that too sort of in the opposite direction? I mean, I don't sleep. I really don't sleep very well. And I know, I mean, I get to sleep great, but I wake up. I have sort of periods. If I have a four-hour sleep where I sleep for four hours, that's good for me. Usually it's two hours and then I wake up and then it's another two hours and then I wake up and then it's another two hours. I've tried lots of things to sort of resolve that. I just can't get it. But when I wake up in the morning, if I'm feeling a bit sort of tired and things, what's the best thing that I should be doing? I mean, I don't drink tea and coffee, so I wouldn't be going for the coffee. But what's the best thing I should maybe be doing? Should I be taking supplements or should I be looking at specific foods that I'm eating, maybe for breakfast, for lunch? For my tea, dinner sort of thing. Yeah. So what I generally do with people or clients, whether I work with leadership teams or groups or even individuals, is I take them through an assessment that I created called the Wellculator. Okay. So the Wellculator looks at 10 areas that are fundamental. We need to have them in place okay. if we want to support good physiology, good energy, good performance, and help our bodies to be able to better manage stress. So I would first say we work through that assessment because all of us are unique and different. One of the questions on the calculator is, do you get adequate rest? So are you waking up feeling rested? And I would say that is probably the most important one. So you've just mentioned to me, Susan, without doing the assessment, that's where you struggle. So on the topic of sleep, I mean, I have been an insomniac for a long time. And I would say it's only in the recent years, you know, and COVID made it worse again. But that I've really come to grip with it. And there's so many things that you can do. And a lot of them we don't even realize because we don't think about them. So I've done a whole masterclass, which perhaps we can actually share the link to that also with Simon, who initially introduced us. Yes. That was for accountants around how to get better sleep. So for instance, when you go to bed at night, sometimes that's too late to start thinking about, you know, I'm sure you've heard about it's important to stay off your phone for an hour before you go to sleep yes. and have a a cooler room and darker. And all of that is called sleep hygiene. And there's a lot that we could discuss there. What I always start, because for me, this is what helped me with my sleep issues. At the start of your day, as you wake up, are you getting outside and having 15 minutes of natural light coming in through your eyes? Okay. So that would be, if you wake up in the morning, before you have, you know, you said that you, you don't drink tea and coffee, but if any of the listeners, before you have tea or coffee, or maybe you make your cup of tea or coffee, and then you go stand outside. 
the, the important thing about standing outside is even if it's cloudy and overcast, and if it's raining, you can literally stand in your doorway. When you look up towards the horizon or the sky, the UV light that comes in through the retina touches a part of the brain that has what we call chemophotoreceptors. Mm -hmm. And those receptors are involved with helping your body create balance. It's called the circadian rhythm and helping you manage stress, helping you regulate cortisol, and actually helps you get sleep at the end of the day because it helps wow. your brain realize we're awake. It makes you feel more wakeful. And then it starts the process of regulating hormones. So that's the first thing I would say. And a lot of us don't. We wake up in the morning and it might be crazy with kids and pets and yes. we're grabbing a hot drink. And then before we know it, we're either driving to work. So we're not really outside. We're inside the car. Yeah. Or we just go to our desk, the dining room or our home office. And we haven't been outdoors. No. So I would say, Susan, if that's something you're not doing, try that for a week and see, that's see if it helps. That's really interesting. And see this well calculator. Can If they go to your website, will they be able to sort of... Yes, absolutely. So on my website, on, on the homepage, you can actually sign up. And what I do is I take you through the calculator in four short videos over a few days. So it's all bite-sized and easy. It's not a big time investment. And you'll get a downloadable PDF. Okay. It has the 10 questions of the calculator, and you can score yourself and see what your score is out of 10. Generally, the average score is around about four or five out of 10, okay. even though a lot of these things are absolute basics but remember common knowledge isn't always common practice and then do you sort of pick the one that you're worst at and work on it first is that what you do such a great question you pick the one that you feel the most excited about changing okay that's very important because remember if all this was easy then we would all have a well-connected score of 10 out of 10 yes so if, for instance, in your case, Susan, if the sleep is something that you know you need to work at, but it feels like such an insurmountable mountain, I would rather you start with, ah, maybe hydration or maybe strategic eating, because if that feels easy and you're more excited, well, how are you going to feel in a week or two's time if you've done something you set out to do, like you're having an extra two glasses of water every day? Yes. You're going to feel good, Right. And that feeling good is an important part of behavior change. You know, neuroscience tells us that when we do something that we set out to do and we acknowledge it, we feel good, we actually release dopamine and the learning center and the reward center in the brain light up and they tell you, oh, this is something I need to repeat because it makes me feel good. And then when you start creating that positive momentum, you also start believing that you can do this. And then we start approaching maybe the other things on the calculator that you felt were insurmountable. But over time, it's a bit like you take a step at a time. And before you know it, you've done a five mile walk. Yeah. And how quickly. So if, if I started, say, tomorrow morning, because what I do is I get up quite early um, and I just get up quite early and I go, I work from home. So I go to my desk and I sit at my desk. So say tomorrow morning, I get up early as I normally do. And I go and spend 15 minutes outside. And like you say, even if it's raining, if I just stand in the doorway, how quickly will I notice? Or can can you sort of define that? Can you say, well, you should notice a difference in a week, two weeks, a month? Or is it sort of like have length as a piece of string sort of thing? It's a very good question. You know, each of us are quite unique and our biochemistry is unique. I must say that I probably felt a difference within a week when I did that. 
Okay. It was January 2021. It was in the middle of lockdown. I was feeling very stressed. I really thought that I had just hit menopause overnight because my brain fog, my brain was foggy. My energy was, I felt like I was walking through treacle every day. I wasn't my usual sprightly, joyful self. And I was sleeping badly. This wasn't the only thing I did, you know. I also did check and I did have some deficiencies in my nutrients, like my magnesium and vitamin D levels were very low. So yes, I then focused on eating foods that gave me that and taking a supplement. But getting up in the morning and going outside was more than just getting 15 minutes of natural light to help my brain neurochemistry. It also became a powerful declaration that I'm important. So I noticed even to today, if I do not go outside or put do something for my well-being before I sit at my desk, my stress levels are much higher if I don't do that. I can feel like I get care. So it's almost as if you're doing a bit of mindfulness. So ideally, for those 10 or 15 minutes, don't be on your phone, right? Because then you're looking down at Facebook or emails. If you've got company because someone lives with you or you've got a pet, amazing, or you want to say hi to the nature. But the idea is take that moment. And maybe think about your day. And I know a lot of people combine that with a gratitude practice. So they'll be outdoors for the first 10 or 15 minutes of the day. And they'll think about what they're grateful for. Because when you think about what you're grateful for, you also change your internal chemistry for the better. So you reduce levels of cortisol and adrenaline and you increase levels of oxytocin, which make you feel good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd mentioned supplements there, and I think I'd said to you, what about sub- supplements and things? Are, you know, like vitamins and taking magnesium and taking turmeric or things like that. Is that worthwhile? Is that worth doing? Susan, and for any of the listeners, it's only worth doing if you're measuring that they're actually working for you. Okay. So, so to give you an example, I know that I need extra magnesium. Generally, I need more than the average person. And that's because of tests that I did many, many years ago. And if I don't take magnesium, my muscles in my legs at night when I'm lying in bed will go into very tight spasms and it's very painful. Okay. And when I take 300 milligrams of magnesium every day, I don't get those spasms. So I've been doing that for decades. Right. However, when I went through this particular time a few years ago, and I think a lot of us, because of the stress, the enormity of the pandemic, it triggered things inside us, you know, and the test that I did that looked at my nutrient levels said that even though I was taking a very good quality magnesium supplement, I actually needed double what I was taking. Wow. So, yeah, so I doubled it to even more. Uh, And then the vitamin D, I was using a vitamin D supplement, but it wasn't really being absorbed because the levels were clinically, like clinically very, very low. And when I took a different form of vitamin D and then I did the vitamin D test again, my levels were okay. They were normal. So what I'm saying is if you are paying for vitamins and supplements, it's also worthwhile to maybe once a year or once every couple of years, pay for a test that you can check whether you're absorbing them. And I always say, try and get what you need from food first. You know, that's the French in me, food first. So I eat a lot of magnesium containing foods. I couldn't possibly eat more avocado and apricots and leafy green vegetables and whole grains and legumes. And that's why I take a supplement because I can't have more of the foods that have magnesium. (laughs) But but a lot of people don't even know. They they don't even know where omega-3 is and that 
if you have two or three servings of a, a fish that's high in omega-3, you probably don't need a supplement. So when you say get test done, where would I go to get the test done? Or can you do that online? You can do it online. Yeah, okay. you order a test kit online. There's many different companies. I'll mention three because I don't just want to mention one. Thriver, Fourth for Life, Medicheck. And you can order these kits. And then okay. depending on how much you want to test, they then tell you that you need to send back saliva. You might need to send back a little bit of blood, you know, so you, you do your finger prick. And you can get some insights. I think it's wonderful and important for all of us to be responsible and proactive about our health. You know, we can't, we shouldn't go to our local GP and burden the NHS even more with something like this. No. Unless you have a particular health issue that you feel might be related and then need these tests. But I, th I think it's really worthwhile for us to do this once in a while. I call it on the calculator. it's point number five, and it's do you know your health numbers? Okay. So are you checking things like your nutrients and also cholesterol? And you asked me right in the beginning, should we test our blood glucose? Yes. There is a test that you can do. It's called the HbA1c. It's it's the glycated hemoglobin. You don't need to remember that. Most of these online tests, when you ask to check for glucose, they will do that test and it gives us an indication of what's happened with your blood sugar for the past 3 months. Okay. So it's not just the real, because maybe you've had a bad day and you've had, you've skipped breakfast and then had like, you know, a chocolate as a snack. If you check your blood sugar, then your glucose might be really, really high or really, really low. Yeah. Whereas the test that I'm mentioning takes a variance, like an average. It's quite exciting that we can measure what your glucose has been doing for the three months before you took the test. Wow. That's incredible. It is incredible. The body is incredible. You know, when you give it what it needs, it is so intelligent, you know, like perhaps we could slowly move into the topic of gut health, you know? Yes. If you support your gut health, like you have enough fiber in your diet and you eat enough vegetables and you can help those bacteria that are good for us to grow and be strong, you won't get sick. Or if you do get sick, your immune system will be able to fight it off and you'll recover and bounce back. So talking about that, have you heard of Zoe? You know, Zoe, this this sort of test where you put it in your arm and they test, they sort of track certain foods that you're eating. What do you think about all of that? I think that's all to do with gut health, isn't it? Yeah, that's not specifically gut health. I think as far as I know, it checks blood glucose. while oh, you're. It? Okay. Yeah, so, so you can get these patches that you wear on your arm for say two weeks and then it tells you you know you've got an app on your phone and you can just check it it tells you where your blood sugar is yes. i think it can give you lots of insight you know i use them once in a while in the past we used to just assume that only diabetics needed those yeah. but i think for each of us as long as when you use that patch you don't change your diet because that's the whole idea is it, it's meant to give you information of what's working for you or not. And I know a lot of people, when they feel that somebody's looking over their shoulder, like if I said, <laughs> yes, yes. If I said, Susan, please will, you keep me, please will you keep me a food record? Yes. I know that you're not going to tell the truth. <laughs> That's very true. You'll say one very glass true. of wine instead of one bottle and you'll say one handful <laughs> of sweets instead of a whole packet. It's, it's just the way we are because we, we have such an emotional relationship to food and we often feel shame and guilt. So with those patches, carry on as normal so you can get insight. Then hopefully I sit with someone. So sit with a nutritionist or a dietitian that can help you. 
based on your lifestyle, any medications you're taking, family history, any blood tests that you know of, then make some tweaks and check again, because then you can be sure that it really is working for, for you. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was this struggle. They call it work-life balance. I don't actually like that terminology, work-life balance, because I think your life is your life. But I know that a lot of people that are listening to this probably do struggle with switching off from work. You know, they, they, they can't even go on holiday. They still have to check in. They they can't have a weekend off. They work nights. You know, they sit with their phone beside them, checking their emails and all the rest of it. So can you sort of maybe give us some advice on how to sort of maybe create boundaries or establish a healthier balance between that? What would you suggest? Such a great question and something all of us need to pay attention to, myself included. So, yeah, like I don't use the term work-life balance. I prefer to use the term work-life integration. Okay. And in fact, I think we should drop work because it's just life. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's life. And for me, even if you are doing a work task, if you're doing it from a place of mindfulness and joy, that's very different to if you're not working, but you're very anxious and stressed anyway, you're not enjoying that either. No. So for me, it's about how do I show up all the time, no matter what role I'm playing. I could be a mom, a friend, a sister, an employee, an entrepreneur, uh, a friend. And with the new way of working and with so many of us like yourself working at home, it's become so easy to blur those lines of where my work persona starts and where it ends. Yes. So I would say, look at what you can do rather than how do I switch off? I would ask the question, how do I switch myself on? So how do I bring in more activities that turn me on, that make me feel excited, joyful, happy? For instance, have you got hobbies? Have you got something to do if you were to stop working? Because a lot of us don't. And then, of course, we're not going to create vacuums in our life. So can you cultivate interest in things so that when you try to switch off, you've actually got something to do that you find appealing? Yes. And I would say in the beginning of the day and the end of the day, those are good pockets of time to start exploring, being very strict about the screens that you allow close to your body and that you look at. Okay. Yeah. So ideally, you know, for half an hour to an hour in the morning and also the same amount of time, an hour before you go to bed, it's a good idea not to be looking at any kind of screen, no TV screen, no phone, because the light emitted from those devices keep the brain switched on so it keeps melatonin levels high even the tv i know they say about your phone and things and the computer but the tv what's important about the tv is some of us myself for instance i'm very sensitive to what i watch and so if you're watching something like a documentary maybe about nature or something that's not going to be stressful or maybe a movie that's like relaxing but if you're watching an intense documentary about world events or the news that's going to have a very different effect on your nervous system and a lot of us are in front of the tv and then as we switch it off we go up to the bathroom which is another bright light brush our teeth then we go to bed and we're not sleeping in completely dark rooms either no so the retina those chemophotoreceptors that i spoke about right behind the eyes and connecting to the prefrontal cortex of the brain they just never get a chance to relax and switch off no 
And what I have now been taught through the neurochemistry and neuroscience work I've done is that the retina, the eyes and the brain need at least half an hour of quite like darkness and no internal and no stimulus coming in to relax, to help the brain switch off. Wow. So, yeah, I guess what could you do if you switched off your TV and you had half an hour? before you even started going to brush your teeth and go to bed. And then when you brush your teeth, don't put the bright light on in the bathroom. No. I suppose <laughs> you could, could you read? Would that be? Or is that too much of a stimulus? No, you could absolutely. Reading is very different. Okay. Because there's no false light. Read. Yeah. Maybe listen to music. Yes. Maybe listen to audiobooks, something. But once again, be careful of listening to work-related things on how to achieve and reach ROI because that's going to keep your brain going. Okay. Connect, you know, if, if you live with people is, you know, have authentic, what we call authentic relating because we're just not spending time with each other. You know, yeah, you can four people in a house. Sit and speak to your hubby for a half Yeah, hour. yeah. Your kids, I suppose, if, you, if they're old or if they're still up. And if you're like me and you live alone, what I often do, and I even do it in winter now because a lot people have told me there's no such thing as bad weather. There's such a thing as bad clothing. Yes. So at night, what I do is I go for a 15 or 20 minute stroll around my neighborhood. And if it's raining, I'll take an umbrella. Yeah. And those nights, especially if I've started my day in the morning with the 15 minutes of sunlight, and then I've done 15 minutes of being outdoors walking, I sleep so well. Wow. I sleep so well. So for me, that 15 minutes at the start and 15 minutes at the end is definitely worth doing. There's no way... I say to myself, but I don't have the time or I don't feel like it's because it's going to give me eight hours of sleep. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're right. We don't have hobbies as such. I always remember working for a businessman and he he worked hard Monday to Friday. And at the week, every weekend or most weekends, he would go and climb mountains and he loved it. And he said the reason why he did it was because when you're climbing a mountain, you have to concentrate on what you're doing. You can't be thinking about something else because, you know, you could fall and you could get injured. So for how many hours on a Saturday or how many hours on a Sunday, that's all he thought about. So that meant he wasn't thinking about work and it was how he switched off, which I've, al- I've always remembered that. Yeah. And that gets me around to physical activity. Yes. Now, we I mean, I'm very conscious of this, sitting on our backsides in front of the screen for seven, eight hours, maybe not doing any physical activity or very little physical activity. How would you suggest that we can start incorporating exercise or movement into our daily routine? It's also a wonderful question. And uh, two points on the calculator relate to this. The first one is, are you activating and energizing your body during your workday? And then the second one is, are you getting enough intentional exercise? So during our workday, if you sit for longer than an hour, you will probably start to hunch your shoulders, lean forward, clench yeah. your jaw and frown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds lovely. <laughs> that perpetuates the stress cycle and we feel so constricted and tight. And then, of course, when we finally break out of that after two or, two or three hours, all we can think about is like pepping up our energy, like I need some sugar or I need a salty snack or I need another cup of coffee. So firstly, I would say, try to never sit for longer than an hour, which means we need to relook how we do meetings. Can okay. you make your meetings 55 minutes or 50 minutes instead of an hour? 
and give yourself a body break. Stand up and stretch. You can even just do this now if you're listening, as long as it's safe and you're not driving. Even just changing where your eyes go will help to release some of the tension that we have behind the neck and the jaw and the forehead. And then also, I've got a sit-stand desk, so I alternate sitting and standing. I think anyone who's working from home or spending a lot of time at a desk should really consider investing in, even if you just get one of those simple IKEA platforms that that you put on top of your desk to help you stand. Yes. And when possible, have walking, talking meetings. So don't always go to video straight away, especially if it's people that you know. Video is exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. And it's not natural, you know. I find the meetings that I have when I walk and talk, even if it, if I walk around my home or I pace the room, ideally I like to try and go outside. They are never long meetings because we get to the point quicker. And because yeah. you're moving, there's the sense of energy and pace and momentum, you know. I do appreciate, though, a lot of accountants would probably need spreadsheets and need to be in front of their desks. In which case, get up and stretch for a minute or two every hour. And if you're not doing that, definitely midday, somewhere halfway through your day, walk for a mile. Go for a 10 or 15 minute walk. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're probably going to spend a lot of money with a physiotherapist, a chiropractor or an osteopath. Because our bodies are not meant to sit. Not not nearly as much as we do. No. And I think that probably sort of came to light I think during COVID because a lot of us were sitting and a lot of people were working from home I'm not used to working from home so they were sitting in desks that weren't ideal and in chairs that weren't ideal in sort of small spaces and things and that gets me around to workplace culture so some of the people that will be listening to this have employees Mm-hmm. And how can smart business owners foster a positive and supportive environment in the workplace that prioritizes well-being? So what can we do to help our employees? There's so much. And I would say there's two branches to that. The first branch is role model yourself. Okay. So that's why I love I love working with leaders and business owners because Ultimately, it's a bit like, you know, those of us that are parents know that kids do more of what you do than what you say. So they don't do what you tell them, but they'll mimic your behavior. So you look after you. You take a break at midday. You stop sending emails at like 10 o'clock at night or five o'clock in the morning or on a Sunday night. You know, you look at your own work-life integration, create opportunities for your own joy and happiness and improve your sleep. And then the second part is, Absolutely. We are not taught this anywhere. We're not taught this in school. It is, I believe, the responsibility of any workplace leader to think about how they can make it easier for their workforce to access this kind of information. Because people, we now know, we don't leave our bodies behind when we get to work. So if we have a mental health issue, if we have low energy, if we have back pain, all of that is arriving. And that can drive presenteeism. So there's a there's a lot of research showing that investing in well-being, as long as it's the right product for the it, the audience, can really give you an ROI. And that's where it's important to find out what people want. You know, maybe do a survey or a focus group or offer a holistic type presentation and then see what your employees feel. And if they, wow, we really enjoyed that. Can we have more? Then you give them more. Because you also don't want to, as a leader, be seen as being 
a parent, you know, and telling yeah. people what to do because well-being is very personal. Yes. But in my experience, I mean, my business has thrived for almost two decades and I work with small businesses, large businesses, small teams, big teams. And if the message comes across in the right way, people appreciate it so much. They feel cared for and acknowledged. But as long as it's not just, I don't like to work with clients that just want to do a tick box exercise like, oh, we need a well-being initiative. Let's do this. Yes. I really like to work with clients that say, okay, let's invest in a three, four, six month or a year program. Let's get feedback from the staff. Let's check engagement. Oh, and then we can really we can change lives. I mean, I got a message this morning from a business leader who said, you know, Celine, from your workshop three years ago, I'm still using your morning routine suggestions. So in one presentation, he's changed his behavior and it's lasted for years. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. And I was I was going to say to you, maybe this is a bit sexist, but do you find men more difficult to convince than women? Or am I being sexist? <laughs> I can just see from, especially from the accountancy profession, maybe, maybe not, but historically from the accountancy profession, I can see a lot of men going, poo, poo, what a load of rubbish. Well, my work is predominantly with men. And I know oh, right. okay. it is true that a lot of men generally have the preconceived idea that well-being is not that important or how can it really make a difference or it's it's seen as a bit woo-woo you know yeah but generally you know if it's my presentations include a lot of science and examples and case studies and also I personally am not preachy you know it's for me everyone has a unique journey I don't have all the answers I do know that it makes a difference so if you want to feel better think better feel better act better why not try one or two things that you haven't tried before and let your body show you? And with that kind of lens, I find that they're very receptive. And what I enjoy is that men often, when they commit to something, they will do it and yeah. then they get the results. Yes. Whereas potentially with women, and I can say this because I'm one, we're a little bit more complex around eating and drinking. And we've got, <laughs> and that's also because of upbringing and stories and belief systems. Yes. So yes, women take it naturally. I think they, they love the topic more. But I think each has its pros and cons. It's a great question. Yes. So tell me, how do you measure success? In terms of my business? Yes. How do you I measure success? Oh, I measure success not by my numbers. I used to, but I don't anymore. I measure it by whether, so I call myself the well-being whisperer, and I have an approach that is about joie de vivre. So joie de vivre is the French term for joyful living. Yes. So when I wake up feeling joie de vivre, like I'm joyful about being awake and about my day, then I'm as wealthy as I can be. Okay. So that means I need to be looking after my, myself, the calculator, in integrating all aspects of my life and doing meaningful work. Like I just, when I get a note like I did this morning from someone who I haven't seen for years and they tell me that I had an impact on their life, that brings me immense joy. That's success for me. Yeah. Do you set goals as such? So do you sort of sit down? You know, I don't do it like some people say New Year's resolution at the beginning of the yeah. year. But I don't I don't sort of do that. But I, I do tend to, at the end of my financial year and the start of my new financial year, I do tend to think about what do I want to achieve over the next year? Do you do things like that, set goals? I don't really set goals. I do set challenges. So I will 
for instance, when I wanted to first try cold water immersion, so swimming in cold water or taking cold showers, I would set myself the personal challenge of getting to taking a one-minute cold shower. But I'm very then open and fluid about how and when that happens. Okay. Yeah. And you're not me, sort of like dogmatic. It's got to be every morning. No, because right I think now. we can set ourselves up for failure that way. And a lot of my work is influenced by more feminine principles that we see in nature. Okay. Where everything has a cycle and everything changes and we don't need to press and rush things so much. And that comes from my own personal experiences with getting very close to burnout and always achieving and always having goals and always striving can be helpful, but it can also be detrimental. And I think we need the opposite at times. We need to pause and stop and reflect and tap into not what am I doing, but how do I want to feel while I'm doing that? Okay. And for me, it comes back to that joie de vivre. Am I feeling joie de vivre about the cold shower? Yeah. yeah. For instance. So that I, I was going to say to you, do you ever get, feel overwhelmed? Do you <sighs> ever feel? Susan, like? a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I actually posted about this on my LinkedIn profile, but I had my first panic attack. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> and I know, I mean... I mean, I now know where it came from because I sat with my own mentor and we did some, some work in emotional releasing. You know, sometimes when you're in the forest, you can't always see no. all the trees. No. So she really helped me to do that. And I feel so much better. But it was a reminder that if I suppress things, because I was suppressing a lot of emotions, it will be expressed in some way. Okay. Okay. So, yes, I do get overwhelmed. But, yes, I have many tools in my toolkit. And that's why I do this work. All of us are going to have bad days. In fact, I think it's absolutely necessary. We can't be joyful and happy all the time. No. We need to know melancholy and sadness yes. and despair. But if you spend your life in those negative emotions, that's not great. And if you've got tools to help you come out of it, that for me is true empowerment. I agree. I agree. I don't think you can be up all the time. So tell me, just to finish off, because I know your time's important to you, Tell me a simple pleasure. Oh, that's easy. I love champagne. <laughs> My whole family. I sound South African because I was born in South Africa and I lived in South Africa until I was 40. And now I live in the UK. But my whole family are from Champagne. And so everything that Champagne or any sparkling wine, I mean, we, we make fabulous Champagne in England, in the UK. We just can't call it Champagne, you know. No, no. But I love this. I love the symbolism of sparkling drinks. You know, when you see a couple or a family drinking a sparkling drink, what do you assume? We assume immediately they're celebrating. It yes. must be a birthday or an anniversary. And so for me, you know, I had champagne by myself on Tuesday because I had had this beautiful session with my mentor and I had released all this anxiety that I had been carrying for two weeks. And it was a champagne moment for me. So you don't have to open champagne to have a champagne moment, right? No, no. Yeah, yeah. But if, if anybody knows me well, they know that I love anything to do with effervescence and joy and champagne is part of that. Well, that's interesting because I get drunk very easily on champagne. <laughs> I don't know if it's the bubbles, but I just have a couple of glasses and I'm I'm a bit sort of tipsy. But I love it. I do love it. I must admit. Yeah, I like as well that champagne for me is about quality over quantity. You know, you have a glass or two and then you stop. 
Yeah. Or that's how I was brought brought up, you know. So even though I opened a bottle, I've still got more than half in the fridge because I've got a good closed yeah. uh, cap on top of it. Yeah. Well, it's been really good to talk to you. I've learnt a lot. And tomorrow morning, you'll find me for 15 minutes standing in my garden. My dog will probably be with me going, what the hell's happening here? But I will be in the garden and I'll let you know if it works. I'll let you know if I sleep better. Thank you, Susan. And and please, I'd like to say to anybody who's listening, if they want to reach out to me, LinkedIn's probably the best place or on my website, I would be honored to be anybody's well-being partner. Because if we do this together, we can help rise the tide yes. of well-being. And then that lifts all the boats. Yes, I agree. I agree. Totally. Thank you very much. My name's Susan Crichton. This has been The Entrepreneurial Journey. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.